John chapter 15 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. John chapter 15, so scroll in your app, your iPad or your iPhone, or the old school way like I'm doing with old pages. John chapter 15 is where we're going to spend our time. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17 this morning. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. Hear now the words of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. The judge looked down at his prepared statement and said these words. I now sentence you to natural life without the possibility of parole to the United States Federal Prison. The defendant's father blurted out in that moment, Judge, what does this mean? True story. Judge responds to the defendant's father and he says to him, Sir, This means that your son will spend the rest of his life in prison. He will die there. This was a sobering moment for the entire courtroom. Here is a guy who is a father of three boys and a a husband of a wife as well. Here he is sitting at this table next to his lawyer when he hears that he will spend the rest of his natural life in prison. Totally changed the game for him. He never thought that selling crack cocaine would lead him to this kind of place. Natural life in prison. All of his life has been changed. 
The lives of his boys have been changed. The, the lives of his wife has been changed. See, think for a second about natural life in prison. I know that it's a crazy thought. Each person who has natural life in prison or an inmate at all is completely dependent upon the authorities. They tell them when to eat. They tell them when they can call somebody else. They tell them when they can have visits from loved ones. They are completely dependent upon the authorities. Their life is no longer their own. Their lives have been changed forever. They are completely, hear it now, dependent. And when we look at our passage this morning, what we see is this picture of dependence. We see this picture that you and I are no longer our own, but we are completely dependent upon the God who made us and the God who created us. Jesus shows us our need for complete reliance. When we rise, when we put our head down, we are dependent, whether we know it or not, we're dependent upon someone who is much greater than us. I want us to see three main ideas this morning. We'll see that we are most hopeless apart from Jesus. We'll see that the value of resting in Jesus. And lastly, we'll see that we are called by Jesus. But before we go to work, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for sweet worship. Thank you, Father, for the gathering of believers. And Father, thank you that this is a safe place, even for those who may be struggling to believe. Father, we pray that you would convince them that you would draw them to yourself, that you would pursue them, Lord, like you have pursued many of us here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us by your Spirit. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you have your way this morning? Would you move me aside? Would you eliminate any distractions, God? Would you have your way in this place this morning? Lord, we, we need to encounter you. We don't need the words of a mere man, Father. We, we need your words. So speak to us, Lord God. Have your way in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the last several weeks, we've been spending our time in the I am statements of Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus would say, I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And as the people of the day and the disciples are attempting to understand what all this means, Jesus points to himself as the epicenter of it all. All of these I am statements point to Jesus as being the center of it all. And the reality is, it is not, uh, it is not Jesus revolving around us. It is us revolving around Him. He is the center. So Jesus does something beautiful. He, he, he helps us to see this idea of Him being the true vine. He draws from Old Testament pictures here in our text. And yet in the Old Testament, the vine was representative of the nation of Israel. But this is not the case here in our passage. Let me show you this. Look at Isaiah 5, verses 1 through, uh, 1 through 7. 
Look at this with me. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now... O inhabitant of Jerusalem and me of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done uh, in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or honed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For, get this, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. That's Old Testament. Then look at Psalm 80, verses 8 through 11 with me. It says this, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the rivers. See, the Old Testament pictures point to the nation of Israel as the vine. And what Jesus does in our passage is he flips this idea on its head. And he says to them, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Hear what Jesus is saying. You think you're the true vine of God because you have the promise, the covenant, and you think you are in Christ because of it? What Jesus is doing, he's saying, you are not the true vine of God. Your your name doesn't lead you to salvation. But Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. He completely changes this idea that they would clearly understand from Old Testament pictures. Jesus says, you are not the true vine, I am. I'm the way to salvation. I'm the one who is the true vine. He says, the fact that you have Jewish blood running through your body will not save you. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. I think the Memphian needs to hear this. We need to hear this this morning. Because the same message that that Jesus would be giving to the Jews in our passage is the same message in a sense that he would be giving to us this morning. Jesus would say, your church going is not the way to salvation. Your Bible studying is not the way to salvation. Your giving uh, to nonprofit ministries, that is not the way to salvation, although it's good. Your working in an impoverished neighborhood is not the way to salvation. The only way to salvation, Jesus would say, is me. Because I am the true vine. There is no other vine. There is no other way of salvation. There is no other direction. Jesus would say, Look at me, here I am. One of the primary ideas we've got to see is that we are most hopeless apart from Jesus. Look at verses 4 through 5 with me. Jesus says this way, Abide in me, and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a tough truth. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, the branch can't bear fruit by itself. He continues by saying, for apart from me, you can do nothing. I've got, I've got this crazy tree in my backyard. And on this tree are these huge vines of poison ivy. It's so crazy. I had some guy. I didn't even know what it was. Uh, but but some guys came over to the house and told me, man, th- this is all poison ivy. And all of a sudden, I felt the need to chop it down. You know. So I went out there. I got me a little baby axe. And I am literally chopping away at the thick thick vines going all the way up and around this tree. But you know what I did? I, I just want to cut it at the bottom. You can stay there because if I cut it at the bottom, this thing will die. This whole, and what Jesus is saying is, apart from me, you will die. Apart from me, there is no life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The idea is that all life is derived from the vine. Branches cannot exist on their own without being connected to the vine. The the vine provides all that the branches need. The vine is the substance and the nutrients that the branches need. In the same way that a branch can't survive without being connected to the vine, you and I cannot survive without being connected to Jesus. We can't thrive, we can't become all that he would have for us to be if we are not connected to Jesus. What I love about this is that it shows us that Jesus is set apart. It shows us that Jesus is not just a good messenger, that he's not just some good teacher, that that he's not just a moral teacher, but that Jesus is set apart. Because Jesus is the only one who can say, hey, look at me, I I am the true vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's the only one who can make that claim. Which tells us that Jesus is not just a man, but he is God. He is set apart. He's a special kind of character. Without him, as Blaise Pascal says, there is this... God-sized hole in our hearts that we long to be filled. We will be left in a hopeless state without Him. I remember I was uh, helping in this school, volunteering in this elementary school in in my neighborhood in Binghamton. And um, this was years ago. And uh, I was helping in a library and there was about, I think, some third graders. Uh, there was a third grade class that came into the library and I was helping to manage this classroom. And we had them working on some computers and they would have to literally read what was happening on the screen and follow. Uh, the, it was simple stuff. And uh, there was one little girl out of the entire class, there was one little girl who was just sitting there. And so I'm kind of, I'm like, I just told you what to do, you know. So I go to her, I'm like, are you okay? What, what's, what's wrong? And her response to me is, she puts her head down, she looks at the floor and she says, I can't read. 
And you can just see the, the dejection in her face. You can just see the brokenness in her face. Nobody had to tell her. She said, I can't read. She, she, was, she was broken. Here she is, just young. A young little girl, and she already understood how dependent she was upon reading. She already understood that her success and her stance in society was dependent upon her ability to, to read. And she, she knew this without somebody even telling her. She put her head down. She said, I can't, I can't read. She was hopeless. Even at a young age, she was hopeless without the ability to read. And what I want to tell you this morning is this is our passage that apart from Christ, each of us are completely hopeless. All we can do is put our head down in dejection because we are not connected to Him. Jesus said it from His own mouth. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you and I are hopeless, Jesus says. We're empty. All of life is futile. Jesus says to us, you got nothing without me. Like a child that can't read apart from Christ, we're hopeless. Have you recognized your need for help? This little girl, she... She said, I can't read. Would you help me? Have, have you recognized your need for help? Hopeless without Christ? Yes. What is your response? Have you recognized your need for help? Secondly, we see that there is value in resting in Jesus. This is crazy. Verse 4, look at this. Abide in me and I in you. Look down to verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 9. Abide in my love. Some 11 times over and over again, Jesus says, abide, abide, abide. He's saying, continue on. Keep on keeping on. Rest in me. Remain in me. Stay in me. Abiding in Christ, get this, is constant contact with Christ. And I think it's interesting that what Jesus does here is extremely tough. And I know what you're thinking is, how do we abide in Christ? That's a tough thing to do. Right before our passage, Jesus tells us that I am not leaving you alone. In John chapter 14, I'm sending you a comforter in the Holy Spirit, which tells me this morning that we are not alone in our efforts. That the way we can abide in Christ is through the power and the outworking of the Holy Spirit. We're not alone. And though it may be hard, He has sent a comforter for us. So that we can keep on keeping on. So that we can remain in Him. So that we can continue that constant contact with Christ. Jesus says, keep on keeping on. Continue keeping on. See, every believer, get this, should be bearing fruit. 
And this is what Jesus is getting at when he instructs us to abide. There is something that he wants to be produced in our lives and it's called fruit. Every believer ought to be producing this. In fact, the way that I know that you have been marked by Jesus, the way that I know that you are saved, the way that I know that you have been called out and claimed by Jesus Christ is the fruit that you bear. You may say, oh, don't, 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 don't judge me. Don't. The way that I know that you are saved, the indicator that the lights have came on in, in your heart, the indicator is the fruit that you bear. It's the fruit. It's not your fruit bearing that saves you. It's not, it's not bearing fruit that makes you acceptable to God. That is not what Jesus is saying. It is out of love for a changed life. It is out of love for the reality that Jesus has come down in the form of a man and did for you what you can never begin to do for yourself. It is out of that place that you bear fruit. Because of all that He has done. And because of all that He is. In response to a changed heart. You and I bear fruit. The way that I know that you are saved... The way that I know that you have been changed is by the fruit that you bear. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Do you want a life that glorifies God? Do you want a life that makes much of God? It happens through the fruit that you and I bear. Listen to me this morning. Fruitlessness in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ robs God of His glory. When you and I are not bearing fruit because of how God has changed our hearts and our lives, we rob God of His glory. And what Jesus says here is, when we bear fruit, we magnify, we glorify a big God who has done much for us. We give Him glory. Are y'all awake this morning? Is anybody with me this morning? We rob God of His glory when we are not bearing fruit. See, we're called to remain. We're called to stay in Him. We're called to abide in Him. Not only to abide in Jesus, but He also says, Abide in my love. How are we to do that? It says, you are to abide in my love by keeping my commandments. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you will do what I say. If you love me, get this, you will obey. Obedience comes after love. See, it is our obedience to Jesus that demonstrates our love for Jesus. And I know what you're thinking. As, as much as I want to, I, I, I can't completely obey. I can't completely get it right all the time. And that's the beauty because of our lack of obedience. The reason that we can't get it 
fully right and completely right. The reason we can't completely obey and fully obey that paves the way for one who has completely obeyed and one who has fully obeyed. It paves the way for Jesus. It paves the way for Him. See, this kind of remaining... This kind of resting, this kind of keeping on in Jesus and in His love, this kind gives joy. Jesus says in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The result is great, endless joy. The result of the joy of the Lord being your strength is through your and my obedience. And the reality is, Jesus has not promised us our best life now. What Jesus does not say is, you will live happy, wealthy, and prosperous all the days of your life. But what he does say is, you will have joy. You will have joy. And this kind of joy surpasses understanding. This kind of joy happens even when the bottom falls out. You can still have the joy of the Lord. We can have that through obedience. We can have that through resting in Him and resting in His love. Through abiding in Him and abiding in His love. This is the kind of joy that a guy by the name of Joseph would have. Here is a guy who was sold into slavery multiple times. Here is a guy who was beaten by his own family members and left for dead. Here is a guy who was lied on by Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison, and yet he could still say what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. That's joy. That's the kind of joy that Jesus is speaking of. His joy that comes through obedience, that comes through resting, that comes through abiding and remaining in His love, comes through constant contact with Jesus. David had this kind of love. Even when the bottom fell out in David's life, he had this kind of love. Job Job had this kind of joy. Ten caskets laid out at one time of his loved ones. His wife turning her back on him. But yet Job would still believe and trust in God. He would remain and he would have the joy of the Lord which was his strength. Why? Because he lasted, he remained, he rested, he kept on keeping on. How are you remaining? How are you resting? How are you abiding? What's your abiding like in your walk with Jesus? If you are lacking joy in your life, this is how you get it. Through resting, through abiding, through persevering, through keeping on, keeping on. Lastly, we'll see that we are called by Jesus. I love this. Look at verse 16. This is incredible. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. See, we were chosen and appointed to love one another. 
we were chosen and appointed to be friends and not to be servants. We were chosen and appointed to bear fruit. This is a beautiful picture because it tells us about the salvific nature of God. That He came after us, we did not come after Him. It is the reality that there was nothing we could do to save ourselves. And even on our best day, we would never go looking for Him. He came after us. He initiated toward us. He pursued us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners and loving it, while we were enjoying our own brokenness, He chose us. And He appointed us. That's good news for us this morning. He called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We did nothing to deserve it. We did not choose Him. He chose us. That we would be friends and not servants. That we would bear fruit in this life. See, the reason Jesus could choose anyone, get this, is because He laid His life down. The reason that Jesus has the authority to choose anybody is because He laid His life down. Nobody took it from Him. But Jesus willingly laid His life down. Jesus, get this, calls us into obedience, but first He models obedience for us. So much so that He laid His life down, that that He was submissive even to death, that, that He took the scorn on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to be scorned, that He was guilty so that we could be free from guilt, that He was shamed so that we wouldn't have to be burdened by our own shame. He chose us and He appointed us because He laid His life down. See, all of the I am statements of Jesus point to the supremacy and they all demand a response. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, when, when, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, when he says, I am the I am, I am the resurrection and the life, what Jesus is saying is, I am supreme over all. Do we live this way? Do we live under the umbrella that Jesus is supreme? Do we spend our money as if Jesus is supreme? Do we steward all that we have as if Jesus is supreme? Do we love and forgive our enemies as if Jesus is supreme? Do we reach across the railroad tracks as if Jesus is supreme? All of these statements point to the reality That Jesus is bigger than life and that He is worthy of all of our praise. And they demand a response from us. I remember growing up, um, played football in, in high school and really from 11 years old all the way through high school I played football. And specifically in high school, it was crazy because coaches, football coaches just, they just yell. They, they just, I think they just like yelling. And there was this one time, it was crazy, we were in practice, and uh, I was a wide receiver, so I'm, I'm on the line of scrimmage, and I'm getting ready to run my route, and I'm running this route, and 
out of nowhere, I just trip and fall. I just hit the, the grass. I, I hit it. And I, I, I probably got up and there's like dirt and, you know, grass in my face mask. And my coach yells out, Davis, he, Davis, let, let me get that for you. Let, he comes out there, grabs a patch of grass, throws it. Now do it again. But yet when he called my name, I responded. I was embarrassed, but I responded. I, I wanted to do it better. I, I wanted to be better. I, I wanted to be the best because he called my name. And he shouldn't have to call my name. What Jesus has done is he has called our names. He has called us and he has appointed us. And it is our job to respond this morning. Respond to a love that would lay his life down for his friends. That you and I would respond to an unfailing, loyal kind of love. That we would respond to that kind of love. That even if we know Jesus and we are faithfully walking to Him, praise the Lord, but that daily we would respond to that kind of love. That we would wake up in the morning understanding that grace and mercy is fresh for us and that we would respond to that kind of love. And if Jesus does not have our hearts, that we would understand that even our sitting here this morning is the pursuit of an almighty God. That He wants to sit on the throne of our lives. That He wants to govern every aspect of our lives. And it is our job to say yes to Him. Jesus says, all you who are heavy burdened and heavy laden, come to me. And what Jesus is saying there is, I can handle it. Come to me and I will give you rest. There is no amount of brokenness that is too big for him. Come to me and I will give you rest. How have you responded to that call this morning? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you just do business with God in the quietness of your own heart? Reaffirm your commitment to Him this morning. Or maybe for the first time, would you connect with Him? Would you do business with Him? He is calling your name and you have to respond. He is calling you. He's calling you through the I Am statements of Jesus. He's calling you through His supremacy. He's calling you to bear fruit in your life. He's calling you this morning. Say yes to Him. Say yes to Him. Father... Would you draw? Lord, my words aren't eloquent enough to do that. But by your spirit, your spirit has the power to draw us. Lord, even with unanswered questions, would you draw? Even with skepticism, would you draw us, God? Lord, you have paid the ultimate price. You laid down your life and... You've, through your I am statements, revealed yourself to be supreme and willing and waiting to call us.
pursue us. Would you draw? And Lord, I pray that we would never be the same. That we would get plugged into a gospel-centered church. That we would serve faithfully. That we would give faithfully. Because you have given to us. Now, Lord, would you bless these offerings that we're about to receive, these tithes and these offerings. Lord, we pray that you would multiply them indeed. Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills and what we need is nothing to you. But we want to be a church that depends on you, so would you give it to us? All that we need, we trust you to supply. Father, we we long to see more gospel-centered, multi-ethnic churches in this city and beyond. So would you help us to be a part of that work and that mission? Would you help us, God, to use these gifts to raise up leaders and support the leaders that we do have? And would you supply for our every need? Lord, we need a more permanent facility, a building. Lord, we trust you to provide. Would you do it, God? We believe that you can. We trust that you will. In Jesus' name, amen.